A man left his motel and was walking down Division Street, as he did every month, to go get his social security check from the local credit union down the street. And so he went to the local credit union, he got his social security money and cashed it, and on his way back, walking back to his motel, he came across some teenagers who had skipped school and decided to have some fun. And so they started harassing this elderly gentleman and and made fun of him and, and eventually kind of saw he might have something that they wanted, and so they tried to take his money from him and the man resisted. And so this escalated the situation for the teenagers and, and they proceeded to beat him up. And they humiliated him by taking off his clothes and just left him on the side of the road on the sidewalk, half dead. And soon after this incident happened, there was a local church member who was driving by and approached and saw that this man was sprawled out on the sidewalk. And once, once he saw him, he changed lanes because he was late. He had a son's basketball game to go to and, and he was already late. So he passed him by. And then a, a, little, a little while had passed, a few more minutes, and a local pastor was driving that same route on Division Street. And he's, he's a pretty prominent pastor, one of the largest churches in the city. And he saw the man too. And when he saw the man, he passed by because he was going to the Rangers game. He had date night tonight with his wife. And so he proceeded to pass him by. A few more minutes, coming from the opposite direction, she kind of caught him at a glance out of her peripheral vision because she was coming the other way, a, a divorced single mother who makes her living by whatever means necessary, just so, thought she saw somebody she wasn't really sure, so she pulled over to the side of the road and looked across the street and saw that it was a man. And so she walked across Division Street and proceeded to survey the scene and called 911 immediately and saw that bones were broken. And so she delicately tried to put pressure in some of the wounds and waited for the ambulance to come. And then she followed the ambulance to the hospital. And then she waited. She waited to hear what would happen. And she waited till the man finally came to. She waited in the room with him because there was no one else there. And, and she waited till he finally could be semi-conscious, semi-coherent, so, she, so he could understand what she was doing when she gave him some money to get back on his feet. And the amount was double the amount the kid stole from him. There are moments in our lives that we're made for. We don't always know when those moments are, though. Like, I wonder if there's been moments in your life you look back with regret. Like, I wish, I wish I had, man, I wish I had dealt with that differently. I just didn't know. I didn't know the scope. I didn't know how big it would be. How do we know? when we're in those moments that we're made for, like God has prepared us for specific times and for specific places and for specific people. And we just wish we could know ahead of time, right? Because sometimes those moments come and go and we don't know. I mean, there are those moments in our lives that we do prepare for, that we do plan for, the big interview that's coming up, the test that we have to take. We're waiting for the results of that scan and we've run through all the scenarios in our head. There are moments in our lives that we prepare for. But a lot of times, some really significant moments happen in our lives and they come at us all of a sudden. Are we ready? That's what I want us to think about in our passage today 
as Jesus answers a man's question with a story that many of us have heard ad nauseum, like we've heard this story maybe over and over and over again. So my prayer is that we would hear maybe something new in this story, in this response from Jesus today. Because as is often the case, it seems pretty straightforward. We seem to know the definitions of all the words Jesus uses and the words that the man who's asking Jesus a question uses, but there's, there's something that's missed in the way in which this man asks the question. So I want to invite us to find Luke chapter 10. If you brought your Bibles or you want to follow along in the blue Bibles, we'll have it on the screen too. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this sounds familiar. It sounds like the rich young ruler. It's not. We don't know this man's name, but it's, it's a man who's taking his opportunity. He's taking his moment now that he's got Jesus's attention to ask him a question he's really wanted to ask Jesus and it's to try to catch him. It's not unlike the Pharisees when the Pharisees asked Jesus a question to try to catch him in some sort of a contradiction. There's some assumptions this guy's got about the answer to this question. And now He's talking to the one everybody's been talking about whose who's authority nobody's ever seen or experienced before in an actual person. He asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not a small question. Question we kind of want to know ahead of time. Jesus responds, what is written in the law? He replied, like, how do you read it? How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So far, so good. But we don't stop there. There's, there's one key word that the man, he, this, this expert, thinks he knows the answer to the question. And he's answered correctly, like he's, he's made the right sentence. He's put the words together. He's formulated it correctly. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's it. You got this right. <laughs> so go do this and you'll live. But there's this lingering suspicion in the guy that he doesn't stop. He wants to justify himself because he thinks he knows. He thinks he knows what it means, like what he just said. And he wants to justify himself to make sure, to make sure that like, what he knows, the translation of what he just said matches with with what Jesus would also say. So the man wanting to justify himself asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the key word here is neighbor. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I know the illustration that I offered in the beginning is imperfect. It doesn't match the socio-political nature of this, but in, in trying to get at the force with what Jesus is saying, with some sort of cultural relevance, with some sort of scenario that we can wrap our minds around, I'm trying to help us understand the force of what Jesus is saying. Because many of us may know that Jews and Samaritans don't like each other, but that's a gross understatement. And it's hard to get at trying to describe like, Either party wasn't allowed in the territory in the presence of the other. Like the hatred and the division ran that deep. For those of us who, who are aware of history in the last century, especially like getting at the horrible conflict between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. I mean, then we're getting warmer to try to understand the nature of this division and the nature of this conflict. But before we get to the Samaritan, I think what may shock us more about this story that's so familiar to us is how these two men, how these two pastors, these two people that are part of the religious class just pass the guy by. I mean, these are the two people in the story who were made for this moment. I mean, they're the ones, as this expert in the law says, how do you inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the guys that are supposed to go out of their way to help in this situation and they pass him by. They pass him by and they're the ones that are supposed to live out this definition. Their religion kept them more concerned with themselves, more concerned with their appearances, more concerned with a kind of ritual purity at the expense of obeying God's law to love. Their religion didn't lead them to care. Their religion didn't lead them to serve. And we must be mindful in our day and time that for better or worse, fair or unfair, that's how a lot of folks look at us religious folk that come to church. For better or worse, for reasons we can't always control, that's the assumption and that's the lens they bring when they engage with questions about faith um, we, we have to be the first to acknowledge. We have to be the first to acknowledge that this place isn't about putting up false pretenses. We aren't whitewashed tombs. We aren't a hard shell with the appearance of religion without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the problem, I think, with these men that pass by, that pass by this man that's half dead on the side of the road. But we have to acknowledge first and foremost in the spirit of St. Paul that of the sinners, of all the sinners, we're the worst. In that same spirit of St. Paul that says, we, we are unworthy. This is a house for the broken. This is a house for sinners. And that we above all know the extent at which we need God's grace. That's, that's how we are called to live in, in the world. And I know this place, this congregation especially, is, is full of really special moments. There are many moments in the lives here represented of the ways in which you, you have laid down your life. Where you knew the moment, and in the midst of the moment, you responded faithfully. But it's tough. And in this life, we 
often miss moments because we assume we're gonna have more time. These two religious men, these two pastors, they fail to live out the law of love. But this layman, this guy who's never had hands laid on him, who's never had his head anointed with oil, he never went to seminary, and a Samaritan at that, he steps up and does what these religious men fail to do. The expert of the law asking the question, wanted to be justified. You see, he had this answer. He thought he knew the answer to the question because for him, neighbor is just another Jew. And Jesus shatters the categories of, of neighbor by making this enemy the hero in the story. And that seems to be a recurring theme and a recurring pattern in some of our passages over the last few weeks. In this illustration, it is the Jews that have failed to be obedient. They have failed to live into the law of love. And notice what the guy does. He doesn't just give him money and send him on his way, right? He doesn't just give him a handout, but he puts oil and wine over him. He actually cleans the guy's wounds. He bandages him. He gives him his own vehicle. He puts him on his donkey. He makes sure he gets to a hotel and then he stays. He doesn't just leave there. He makes sure he survives the night and cares for him. And he says, I'm not gonna leave you abandoned. I'm gonna come back. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you whatever I need to reimburse you to the innkeeper. It's a definition of really extravagant generosity. So not only is our category of neighbor just being exploded here in the midst of the first hears of this story, but the length at which this Samaritan went to be generous is shocking. The good Samaritan knows the moments he's made for. How? How does he know? And for us, that's, that's the question. That's what holds us back because we want to know and sometimes we look back on our moments with regret because if I only knew this time was coming, I would have done things a little bit differently. We think like our moments, time, that we're always going to have more time. That can, that can lull us to sleep. We can fall asleep easily and sleepwalk through life because there's always going to be another moment. We're always going to have more time. God's word in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If we're going to embrace our moments, we have to know that time is precious and our days are numbered. As Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 to 2, now brothers and sisters, about times and about dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. On Monday, John Cox was playing golf with some buddies up in McKinney, Texas. And as is often the case, when he got done playing golf, he thanked everybody, all the kind folks that organized this big event. It was a huge event. And he thanked everybody for a well-run tournament. And that's what he often did. He, he didn't have a, a meal out anywhere with business associates, with family, friends, where he didn't thank his servers by name. And years ago, after his son-in-law died at the graveside service, he looked every man with a shovel in the eye and shook his hand and said, thank you for shoveling the dirt at his son-in-law's grave. That's the kind of man John Cox is. 
And even after that, to help his daughter out who had to deal with the VA because he was a veteran. And, and we all know how easy the VA is to deal with. And grief was too much. It was overwhelming. So he showed up at the VA at 6 a.m. when they opened at 8 a.m. So he could be first in line to take care of the needs of his daughter. You see, he saw people's needs and other people's interests before his own. And on Monday, he finished this golf tournament. He finished this golf tournament. He said, thank you to everybody. He got in his car and never made it out of the parking lot. Never made it out. He ran into a couple cars that stopped his car in the parking lot and died of a heart attack. This man who his family and friends would say is a man of, he's a picture of perfect health. A picture of perfect health. And we had his service here in the chapel on Friday. John, John knew the moments he was made for. Like in getting to know the life of John through family members, like this guy never missed a moment. This guy didn't have redos. Like he didn't look back with any regrets on the moments of his life. His moments just didn't pass him by. When, when he saw Marcia in high school, he went home after he saw Marcia in high school and said, mom, I met the woman I'm gonna marry. To which his mother replied, Johnny, I think you're hungry. Go get a sandwich. <laughs> and they were married almost 50 years. He never missed a moment. If only we knew how much time we had then. If only, if, if only we knew the day that the Lord would come back. Then, then, then we'll be ready. No, no. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. I know you have today. I know you have today. And I know Jesus is coming back. So I think the only conclusion we can draw from that is that we just need to live like today is the day Christ is coming back. Every moment matters. And some might be bigger than others. We don't always know. We don't always know when they come. So we need to live like today is the day Christ will return because we just don't know. So we might as well live like today is the day. And that if you've, never, if you've never laid your life at the cross, if you've never made that decision and asked Jesus to take control of your life and to forgive you, I encourage you to do that. If you've been busy putting things off, putting off important work, putting off making amends, putting off saying, I'm sorry, putting off actually sharing your life with your spouse without keeping score. <laughs> if you've just been in a season where you've just been putting off and putting off, I got tomorrow, I got tomorrow, I encourage you, to stop putting off, to stop putting off and put on Christ, put on humility and compassion, put on responsibility, put on getting the job done and finishing well. Jesus answers the question, how can we be ready for life-changing moments by telling the story of the Good Samaritan? The story doesn't just answer that question though of readiness in life's moments but it also is bound up with this question of how we inherit eternal life. We can't separate those two. This readiness with which we're called to live our lives is wrapped up with how we inherit eternal life. And the answer to the question is in the same formulation. It's in the same words as the expert of the law. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's love your neighbor as yourself. 
If we focus on doing that, that's how we do it. That's how we stay ready each and every day is by doing that. So when the moments of life come, whether they're big moments or small moments, whether it's a huge stage with a lot of people present or it's a really small stage, we're ready to embrace those moments that God has has made for us. Because it doesn't really matter how big the stage is. It matters who's in the audience and God's always watching, right? Whether the stage is big or small, whether we're in a huge company of people or it's just us and a few others. And God just isn't in the audience, but he gives us strength through his power to do what he's called us to do. And that's how we do it. And the question that the man asks is kind of the wrong way to frame the question. The guiding question of our life, the guiding question for our moral behavior isn't who is my neighbor. We can often answer that question to exclude people. That's not the right question. The question isn't who is my neighbor. We know the answer is obvious. Jesus has shattered all categories. The important question for us to ask is how am I being a neighbor? How am I being a neighbor to the people that I encounter each and every day? How am I being a neighbor? There's this late French philosopher that said, you know, neighbors aren't people that we have. They aren't somebody we have in our life. We often talk about having neighbors. But neighbor is somebody that we are. We are a neighbor. So how are we a neighbor? We see the way in which we're called to be a neighbor through the Good Samaritan through our brother, John Cox. How are you a neighbor? Loving God with our whole selves, being a neighbor like the Good Samaritan, that's how we stay ready for life-changing moments. It's also how we inherit eternal life. And our biggest moments aren't about us, but they're about what God does through us. Because in the end, all of our possessions, all of our accomplishment, all of our fame, all that we've built up will fade away. But our devotion to God and the way in which we allow God to use us to change people's life, that has eternal implications. So we need to be ready for the moment God plans to use us to change someone's life. Because God's going to use you to change someone's life, just like God changed your life through somebody else. So we got to be ready. We got to be ready. He will do this because he's actually the good Samaritan in this story. Jesus, in a mysterious way, is the good Samaritan. We're the traveler on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, from the Garden of Eden to the Tower of Babel from paradise to a broken and a fallen world. We're the traveler on the road and we're lured in by sin. We're affected by evil. We're left half dead. And the form of religion comes along, we might call it religiosity. The form of religion, but not the power, comes along and cannot affect our condition. It can't do anything to save us. It just passes us by until that good Samaritan, until Jesus comes, who by all accounts, by all the religious persons in the institution see him as an outsider, though he comes to save the lost at his own expense, paying the ultimate price. He provides for our stay and leads us to the inn, which is like the church. And he provides for our stay in the church. And you know what? He doesn't leave us. 
He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to restore all accounts. You see, Jesus really is the good Samaritan in this story. So are you ready? Are you ready for those moments that God has put you in a special time, in a special place to rescue the perishing, to cross Division Street? Will you pray with me? Holy God, help us not take time for granted. You have set us apart and you have called us to a special time and a special place, Lord. And so often we get distracted with all that we've got to do in life. And moments pass us by. And God, I pray, I pray for each and every one of us that we would continue to put you first in all things. That you would help us understand neighbors aren't people that we have in our life. We are called to be a good neighbor to everyone we encounter. And we see that in your life, through your death, through your resurrection, Lord. So help us be good neighbors. Help us be like the good Samaritan. One moment, one moment can make a huge difference in someone's life. We know it because we've experienced that ourselves. So help us always be present and see those who you may call us to rescue through your power and through your grace, Lord. We ask all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.